Welcome to Sage Spirituality. Reach back, lean in, and seek out a deeper relationship with God as we journey through the Gospels with your host, Joel Marbit. Welcome to another edition of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbit, and it's so incredible to have you with us here today. And uh, we are going to continue in our conversation here today at the table. We're going to talk about the book of Mark. We're just crawling through it. We're going to continue to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and just uh, uh, try to see as many facets as we can. Realistically, we've spent a lifetime on just one book, but we're going to take several months this year and walk through here at Sage Spirituality this study in the book of Mark. And if you haven't been doing the walk with us, I want to encourage you to go all the way back and uh, start in this incredible journey that we're taking. Every episode, we're going to uh, lean into the Word of God, go a little bit deeper, just break it up a little bit, make a couple of deeper observations, but we're also going to reach back into church history and see if we can't hear some voices from behind us that are helping us to understand our reality right now. But before we jump in today, I want to ask you to continue to do your job, guys. I need you to help us to become more visible, to grow our community here at Sage Spirituality. I want you to share. Uh, I want you to like. <laughs> I want you to rate our program. But I also want you to subscribe. If you're just listening at random, make that decision, hit the subscribe button, and just continue to follow us more consistently. And quite possibly, you want to go back, many, many episodes back, uh, when we started Sage Spirituality, and you can see how we've progressed over the years. Or you can just start where you are right now and start in this journey with us. But regardless, I think you know, as a listener, people that need to be at this table to grow in their spiritual walk. And to be able to understand and have a deeper understanding of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here we are. We're getting ready to jump off into this. And uh, this episode, we're going to consider a broader portion of Scripture than we have been. Realistically, in our former uh, episodes, we've taken just a few verses at a time. But this time, I'm going to take a little bit of a broader spectrum almost 20 verses. And the reason I want to do that is because there is a rhythm that we find in the book of Mark, and it's a rhythm that we find particularly in this first chapter. So I want to give you a, a bit of an understanding. We're going to start in verse 16, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. I read out of the ESV. Here we go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, they, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, uh, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat, and with the hired servants and followed him. Verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. 
And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Verse 29, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they took him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because... They knew him. Now, when we look at this portion of scripture, there's many things we can unpackage here. I mean, there's an incredible amount. We can look at Jesus' authority and his teaching, and we can kind of compare that with the dead teaching of the Pharisees of his day, of the synagogue leaders. Um, that's not really the path I'm, I feel like we need to take. We could also talk about the fact that there was a demon-possessed man that was active in his synagogue, active in his local church, active uh, uh, week in and week out. And, and it took Jesus showing up to actually reveal the reality of this man. Uh, I don't really want to talk about that, but I do want to remind you, um, I want to remind you that uh what Martin Luther said. He said, wherever God builds a church, the devil will also build a chapel. And we have to be wise enough to realize that there are people who claim to be Christians and there are people who claim to be believers. And uh, realistically, they're being used by the enemy uh, to try to cause division and they're being used by the enemy to try to cause confusion and, uh, and, and absolutely positively not adding to the unity to the maturity, to the obedience or the growth of their church. But I'm not going to talk about that. What I want to talk about is just one simple word. And I'm not sure if it stuck out to you as much as it did to me, but the word immediately. You see, that word is used 11 times in this chapter. In the first chapter of Mark, we hear the word immediately. And in the book of Mark, we hear the word immediately over 40 times. And what's incredible is uh, most uh, Bible scholars will point you to the fact that Mark was trying to uh, create the narrative. He he was not speaking like a teenager may speak today, where he was using the word uh, like and like and like and no, that's not that's not what is taking over here. This is not some kind of like um, a youth speech pattern or something. He's trying to press together the story of Jesus, and he's wanting to let you know that there was not a lot of downtime between point A and point B, that it's one thing after another. There's a sequence that's being followed. But there's a Bible commentator. His name's A.W. Pink. I have his entire commentary set. Thanks 
to an incredible mentor of mine that gifted me those when he retired, and uh, they're phenomenal. A.W. Pink's an incredible Bible scholar, and one thing he talks about is he kind of maybe points to a greater reality that Mark, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was trying to reveal to us. And he says this, he said, there was no delay, but immediately he performed the work given him to do. He's talking about Jesus. He said, this word tells of the the promptitude of his service and the urgency of his mission. There was no holding back, no reluctance, no slackness, but a blessed immediateness about all his work. He, we should all learn, he says, we should all learn from this perfect example which he left us. That's a beautiful understanding of that word immediate. And when we start talking about being immediate, I want to refer back to just a, just a few podcasts ago. And we were talking about Jesus being taken into the wilderness and the importance of the wilderness in our life. And one of the things I pointed out was us getting to a point in our life where we're closing the gap between our hearing and our doing. That's just obedience. James said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. He's speaking that in the same breath of talking about having a living faith and a dead faith. And I want to just talk to you today about learning immediate obedience in your walk with the Lord. Immediate obedience. Now, how do we get to a place of like pink? I love the word that he used there. He kind of invented it. Immediateness. How do we reach a place of immediateness in our daily life? How do we get to that place where when we read it in the Bible, when we, when we know that God is speaking to us, that we don't negotiate and we don't wrangle with God, but we just obey? How do we reach that place? Now, you know, first, first of all, I think it's very important for us to understand the ramifications of not obeying God. Now, A.W. Tozer, he said this, and I, and I think this is very applicable in our world today, in the world that we live in, where there's so many people who identify as a Christian, and really, they, they're, they're not any different than the demon-possessed man that was inside of the synagogue. They're part of the fellowship. They show up week in and week out. They, they may even raise their hands and go through, go through the motions. And I do want to pause here and just let you know, I'm not saying that a believer can be demon-possessed, but I think that any believer can be used by the enemy. That's very biblical, and that's another conversation to have on another day, because that is a completely incredible subject that we've had to deal with over the years. But one thing I am saying is I think that a person on the church pew can be delusioned and think that just because they have the t-shirt... Just because they know the cheers that they're part of the team, and realistically they're not. They're so far. They're they're outliers. They're 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 not even part of the true fellowship of the church. And A. W. Tozer helps us understand this when he points out. He said it is altogether doubtful whether any man can be saved who comes to Christ for his help with no intention to obey him. If you come to Christ strictly for your own benefit 
and not with the desire to make him Lord of your life and bow down and to honor him as your Lord, then it's very doubtful that that faith is going to save you. One of the great Puritans, Richard Sibbs, he actually takes it another step. He talks about that it's not just complete obedience, but listen to the way he words it. He says, partial obedience is not obedience at all. To single out easy things that do not oppose our lust, which are not against our reputation, therein some will do more than they need, but our obedience must be universal to all God's commandments, and that because he commands it. Empty relationships are nothing. If we profess ourselves God's servants and do not honor him by our obedience, we take but an empty title. I love the fact that first sentence is worth the weight of that entire quote. Listen to what he said again. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. I've heard it said many times, partial obedience is complete disobedience. Delayed obedience is complete disobedience. When we know what we're supposed to do, as a matter of fact, referring again back to that incredible book in the book of James, In the book of James, we're taught if a righteous man knows what to do and he does not do it, that is sin. And friend, when we know what God wants us to do, but we don't do it, we have to realize that there's some heavy consequences here. We're not just talking about that we had a little spat with God. We're talking about some pretty heavy-hitting theologians here, A.W. Tozer, uh, Pink, A.W. Pink. And, uh, and we're also talking about one of the great Puritans, Richard Sibbs, and the list could go on and on and on. That just because you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're not living in complete obedience to the Lord, there's an issue there that needs to be fixed. So what I want to do really quick is I want to give you three uh, meditations or three thoughts, questions for you to ask yourself during that time in the wilderness when we're trying to shorten the time span between hearing and doing. The first question I want you to consider is this one. Do we really believe that God is good? Do we really believe in the bottom of our heart that God is good? Now, this is a this can this can be challenging because so many of us were raised in uh, in church backgrounds where quite possibly the goodness of God was not presented in the same way that the hellfire and brimstone was presented in our churches and you know that we would walk in week in and week out and and we were teetering on the edge of of eternity every week and we knew that God was in heaven just waiting on us to mess up so he could hammer us again with punishment i'm not talking about living a life like that realistically what i'm talking about is Our obedience will spring forth out of our attitude toward God. Do we truly believe, do we really believe that God is good? If we believe that God is good, then it changes everything. Listen to what Amy Carmichael said. Amy Carmichael was a missionary, an amazing woman of God. She's written many, many books, some that are game changers in my life. The book, If, it's a very small book, a poetry book. And I'm telling you, it will rock your world. Um, but Amy Carmichael wrote these words. She was a missionary in India uh, for most of her life, and she quotes Psalm 25.10. This is what Psalm 25.10 says. All the paths of the Lord are loving and faithful. 
And this is what she said. She said, I have pondered this verse lately and have found that it feeds my spirit. All does not mean all except the paths I am walking on now are nearly all except this especially difficult and painful path. All must mean all. So your path with this with this unexplained sorrow and turmoil and mine with its sharp flints and briars and both our paths with their unexplained perplexity with their sheer mystery they are his paths on which he will show himself loving and faithful nothing else nothing less can you believe that? Can you believe that if you're on a on a on a on a difficult path right now, that you're in a challenging place, or God's calling you to do something very challenging, that that's just a path that's going to be uh, unbelievably complicated, painful? Can you believe that that path is going to lead you closer and closer to a loving and faithful God? I hope you can, because it'll change the way you live your life. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said. Oswald Chambers says, faith never knows where it's being led, but it knows and loves the one who is leading. How amazing is that? How unbelievably amazing it is to know that we don't have to know the ending of the path. If we truly trust in the goodness of God, we can obey him and we know that we love him and he loves us. And he would never lead us down a path just to lead us down a path to make us suffer. There's always a purpose there. Now, St. Augustine maybe took it to a different level. Some of us who have come from a background of hearing about the fury of God and about the punishment of God, uh, it, we, we struggle in our obedience sometimes because we're working out of fear. But listen to what St. Augustine said. He said, wicked men obey from fear. Good men obey from love. If we can realize how much God loves us and we can allow that love in our life to grow toward God, our obedience levels will go off the chart. Now, the second question I want you to ask yourself today, probably going to make you a little bit more uncomfortable. Do we really believe God knows what he's doing? You know, when God's telling us, when we read the word of God and God tells us to forgive our, our enemies or to pray for our enemies or uh, to, to do a certain thing that really comes against us, maybe change the way we look at the opposite sex, not allowing ourselves to fall into the sexualized culture that we live in right now. Um, maybe it's a situation where it's the way we treat our wife or the way we treat our kids or the way we treat other people, um, unbelievers, people who do us wrong. You know, maybe it's the fact that there are times that God would tell you not to speak. Just keep your mouth shut if you can't say something positive about someone. That's something that we live in right now. Uh, uh, apparently, there are many Christians who believe that Facebook, the rules of Facebook, override the rules of the Word of God, the commandments that God has given us. You know, Jesus was very clear when he said, stop judging the speck in the other brother's eye and get rid of the plank in your own eye. And then you can help him. Basically, Jesus is saying, until you work on your own junk, keep your mouth shut. Stop bringing judgment on every other person in your life. Now, but do we really believe that God knows what he's doing? Again, I go to George Mueller, and I love what George Mueller said. Great man of faith, missionary in England who had 
uh, orphanage for many years and was an incredible man of prayer. And listen to what he said. He said, nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Now, listen to this. Nine-tenths of the difficulties in our life are overcome if we're willing to be obedient. We don't have to weigh what we're going to do or how we're going to react. We just say, God, direct me in your word. Maybe we go to our pastor. We ask for direction. We go to a spiritual director. We say, listen, I'm in this challenging place. Can you help me find in the Word of God what God is telling me? And if they can't help you find the answer, then you surround yourself by obedient Christians and you ask for guidance and direction, and God will help you. God will put you in a place to be able to obey. But that's nine-tenths of our problems are gone if we'll just learn to be obedient. Now, maybe taking it a, a, another step further, uh, Thomas A. Kempis, who wrote a book that uh, if you haven't ever read it, I would encourage you to read the uh, the imitation of Christ. It's a book that probably needs to be read and reread and reread and reread. It's a phenomenal book. But listen to what he said. He said, "It is much safer to obey than to rule." We reach a place in our life where we realize it's much safer to obey than to rule. It's much safer for us just to obey God than to make our own unilateral decisions and have to deal with the consequences. If we obey God, then God is responsible for the outcome. If we do our own thing, then the dumpster fire we set is our own dumpster fire. We can't blame anyone else. We can't look at God. We can't be angry because the outcome did not come out favorable. And I would have to agree. It's much safer to obey than to rule. Now, the third final question I want to ask you today, let you consider, do we really, really want what God wants more than what we want. I'm going to repeat that one. Do we really want what God wants more than what we want? Now, again, we're kind of in a in a in a in a crazy place right now where we live in a world that is specifically in the United States and the Western Hemisphere. We live in an area. We live in a place that talks about individual rights and every person's their own king and we don't want anyone to infringe upon our kingdom and we're all these independent sovereigns and we're making our own decisions. But I'm going to tell you something. You know what? That that has incredible, incredible uh, power and with great power comes great responsibility, friends. And God's given us this incredible opportunity to be free and do what we want and not have to respond to practically anybody over the decisions we make on a daily basis. This is a tripping point because if we're not careful, all of a sudden we make ourselves into gods. And we think that what we want is always what God wants. And we have to reach a place where what we really want, more than anything, is just to know what God wants. That the one thing that's going to make it all right, the one thing that's going to help us have purpose and direction and a full life like Jesus promised in John 10.10, is to know the will of God and to do the will of God. Now, John Stott uh, just passed away a few years ago, incredible man of God. And he said this incredibly wise sentence. He said, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of obedience. So many times we're worried about God uh, asking us to do something that's going to be much 
bigger or greater. Maybe we have delusions of grandeur. And we have to understand that what God is looking for, He's looking for our obedience. In the book of Luke, Jesus reprimands his followers and he says, Why do you call me Lord, but you do not do what I tell you to do? And I feel like there's a message to us in the 21st century that God would look at you right now, no matter where you are, if you're driving down the road or you're jogging or you're sitting in your home or you're at work or whatever's going on. Um, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and say, Bring into forefront some things that you've known about that you haven't obeyed. There's some people that you need to reconcile with. There are situations that you need to uh, ask forgiveness for. Um, quite possibly there's people that you need to be praying for that have done you wrong. You've been holding a grudge for way too long. Maybe there's people you need to pay back or there's people you need to give stuff to or whatever that may look like. But I can tell you this. Um, many times people want to do super big things for God, but they're not willing to do the small things that God tells them in their daily life. And you know, it's very biblical to understand that what Jesus said is when we do good with the small things in our life, then he'll multiply those things and they'll become greater and greater and greater. You can't expect God to move you into that new season of greatness if you're not willing to be obedient in the small things. Now, Final parting shot today, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died in a concentration camp because of his obedience to the Lord during World War II. And he said this, he said, you can only learn what obedience is by obeying. You can only learn obedience by obeying. And I would challenge you that during these next several weeks, that you would take time on a daily basis to find solitude, to cultivate your wilderness and to find a place to sit down and consider these three questions again. Do we really believe God is good? Do we really believe God knows what he's doing? And the third and final question is, do we really want what God wants more than what we want? If you'll allow these questions to become real to you and you'll struggle with yourself, wrestle, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, dig into the Word of God, Use some of these quotes that I have quoted today. Write them out. And uh, I would tell you right now, if you can do these things, friends, you will see the time this between your hearing and your doing slowly, that gap closing and closing until we get to a place where we hear the Word of God and we obey. I want to thank you so much for being a part of our community. I want to thank you for being a faithful listener. I want to thank you for all of your support. Uh, through prayer, and uh, we've got some incredible opportunities coming down the road. Uh, we're going to be making some big announcements here at Sage Spirituality very soon, and I just want to encourage you to continue to reach back into church history, to lean into the Word of God, and let's go deeper in our relationships with the Lord. Thank you. <music>